Good morning. It'd probably help if I turn this little guy on. Oh, there we go. A little too much, but um, it's hard to believe I have just a couple more weeks here. Uh, you haven't gotten tired of me yet, so uh, those that are visiting, what I'm doing is what's called a uh, smart start interim, and it's just eight weeks. I live two and a half hours from here, so it's very limited as to what I can do with them. I just retired as an associational missionary up in the Walnut Ridge area and uh, did some teaching at Williams Baptist University as well. So we had our big move-in day at the university yesterday, and I had a tough, tough job. It was, it was horrible. I had to sit in a van and drive the van around campus, just a short little loop. That's all they said. You just stay on this loop, and you're okay. You won't get lost. <laughs> but it was it was good. You know, today we're going to talk about cooperation. And I don't know if you've noticed. I'm sure you have. I mean, just driving down here, I saw a variety, wide variety of different Baptist churches. Some were Southern Baptist. Some I have preached in. Uh, some I have known the pastors at. Uh, some are, I saw signs for General Baptist. I saw some for Independent Baptist. And I have had this question directed to me many, many times. And that is, what's the difference between all these different Baptists? And, you know, we could go into some doctrinal issues, whether we believe in eternal security or not. I don't know if you know this. Not all Southern Baptists even believe in eternal security. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, my stepdad, passionate about the Lord, just couldn't get his head around eternal security. Strong Southern Baptist, uh, everything, but he just couldn't get his head around it. You know, that, that, that distinguishes us from some groups of Baptists. Uh, some on worship style, some on, uh, they just, King James only. Again, with 60,000 Southern Baptist churches, you're going to find some that are just King James only. And I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I while, I guess the best way to say it is there's not a perfect translation, except the original, and that'll be known. We don't have the original. Uh, so we're, we're, we're working off of copies of copies of copies, and uh, there have been some copies found since the King James was translated, and so there's not a perfect. It is a tremendous translation, but there are others that help us. The idea is that we look at the variety of translations to try and understand what it meant in that day then to help us understand what it means for us today. So... Uh, I, lately, I have been preaching from the New King James Version, kind of as a compromise. Uh, but there are a variety of different ones that I have in my phone. And that is a difference between us and other Baptists. But I think one of the key characteristics that separate us from several other different Baptist groups is the idea of cooperation and the way we fund our missionaries. There are some who still use the uh, uh, independent model 
where missionaries will go to the field for a certain time, and then they have to come home, and they have to go around to the churches and raise money. Um, our Southern Baptist churches, our Southern Baptist missionaries, especially our international missionaries, are not allowed to do that. Why? Because they're fully funded. Our, our cooperative program money and our international mission board, our, our uh, special offerings and other things help take care of that. And so when you have our missionaries coming around and they're uh, speaking in churches, and I have done this when I was a North American mission board missionary, uh, we're there to talk about our ministry and we're there to talk about how you can partner with us in the ministry, not for my salary, but for the ministry. And so uh, that is one of the characteristics that, that defines us as we cooperate together and with the thousands of Southern Baptist churches, that allows us to do a variety of different things. We, we cooperate in three different levels. One is we cooperate as associations. Uh, you're in the Arkansas Valley Baptist Association. Well, I don't know a lot about Arkansas Valley Association. I do know your uh, missionary who just stepped aside to take a church, uh, Brother Fulton. Uh, he's a good friend of ours. But if you're like anything like Black River Baptist Association, where I just retired from, and other associations I have worked with, you're able to cooperate together and do some amazing things, whether it's disaster relief or whether it is uh, other types of ministries and missions uh, projects. In my association up in Black River, we were able to cooperate together to partner with the church planting efforts in central Nebraska. And we would send teams up there. Um, we cooperate together to help different churches. We cooperate together to do block parties. We do you know, a variety of different things. So that's one level. The other next level that we cooperate on is the state convention, Arkansas Baptist. And uh, there you're talking about probably 1,500 or more churches. And together they're able to do things that, face it, uh, West Acres Baptist Church couldn't do it by itself. You know, uh, but we're able to send disaster relief teams to eastern Kentucky after the, all the flooding in uh, Hazard, Kentucky and other places. We also have teams on the field right now from disaster relief in St. Louis following the, the major flooding up there. Uh, sometimes we send teams international after a natural disaster. And so that is something we're, we're able to do statewide that individually, West Acres couldn't send a team to Kentucky, could you? I mean, no. But you know, when you give to the Dixie Jackson offering or you give to even the cooperative program, a portion of that goes to disaster relief and other things. And then we cooperate internationally, or nationally, I should say. And that we have the various boards and agency, whether it's our North American Mission Board or International Mission Board, we're able to do some great things and be able to do church planting and helping to do church replants in churches that are nearing, the, uh, they're close to dying and they can able to bring somebody in and, and totally replant and redo the church. And, uh, or else they're able to bring in teams to help, which is what we're looking for here in a long-term interim after I leave. Um, and so uh, that still is a possibility and something I'm still working on. We're able to fund 
thousands of missionaries internationally as well as across the, uh, North America. But that's because we cooperate together. And those missionaries, many of those, they don't have to go out and raise their own funds because they're funded already. And so it allows them to focus on. And one other thing that sometimes gets lost. How many have heard of our hunger funds? And we, we sometimes collect money for our hunger funds, right? Did you realize that when we send money to Southern Baptist for hunger relief, especially internationally, and this is also true in, in the U.S. as well, but we, we forget that it is the same. Those hunger funds go 100% to the field. You're not losing 15, 20% off the top for administration. Why? We already have an international mission board. They already funded. We already have missionaries on the field. They're already funded. We don't have to fund them to get the dollars to the field where it is needed. And that is done in one of two ways. Sometimes we have to buy the food or ha- collect the food here and send it there. But the most efficient way is to send the money there and let them buy the food. It's a whole lot cheaper to send money. <laughs> we have had some students at Williams Baptist University that were internationals, and we've had to ship some things international. Uh, it cost a fortune. Uh, Blessing just tried to ship some things to her brother in Nigeria. And uh, that I forgot how much it was. It was hundreds, it seemed like, just to ship a couple of laptops and a, and a cell phone to Nigeria. You know, so um, it, it's just more efficient the way we do it. Since we already have the people there, we don't have to pay for them, and they can handle and distribute it uh, much better than we can. So we have this great network variety of networks that God has given us as Southern Baptist. You say, where all does that come from? It comes from this book right here. You know, we're not reinventing the wheel, but when you read in the Gospels and you read in Acts and following, and you read about the churches cooperating together to do that, we take that model and you know, they already had the missionaries there. Paul already had his people in some of these places. And so they were, when they were collecting the offering, it would go to help in the field. And so that's how we learn some of the models that we have adopted as Southern Baptists. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I will admit... And uh, no model is perfect. No denomination is perfect. And you're well aware that we as a Southern Baptist Convention have our problems. But we strive to do as much as we can biblically. And uh, having been a North American Mission Board member, having been Southern Baptist all of my life, but having interacted with various other groups and studying other groups, I'm happy with where I'm at. As they say, warts and all. We're not perfect. None of them are. Uh, But we strive to do the best. So our message today is called the confidence of cooperation. 
Because of Christ, because we are the family of God, we can have the confidence in our mission that God has given us. Why? It goes all the way back to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Those last few words. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, uh, we're going to read beginning in verse uh, 50 and reading down, I think, to the end of the, yeah, to the end of the chapter. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. That last verse just has so much packed into it. And we'll kind of unpack some of that as we go along today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for that you have given us as Southern Baptists the tools and the resources and the means to cooperate together to do things collectively that we could not do as individual churches. Lord, I know that we are not perfect, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to daily strive as individuals and as a church association, a state convention, and nationally that we would strive to be more and more like you, strive to be more uh, perfect witnesses for your kingdom and strive to help others to come to know you as Lord and Savior. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why can we have confidence? We have, the title is co- uh, The Confidence of Cooperation. Why? That's the question. Why, what, what makes it possible to give ourselves fully to the work? Well, we have one. We have confidence because of the resurrection. We talked about different religious groups. Just one or two of the last Sundays. We talked about the Mormons. We talked about Islam. We talked about uh, Hinduism, Sikhism, and other groups. And I said, the one thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other group out there is we have an empty tomb. They don't. It doesn't matter which faith you want to try and follow. You're following a dead leader. We're following a leader that's alive. And it's because of the resurrection that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come boldly before God, give him our petitions, and listen for a word from him because of the resurrection. 
Paul writes, listen, in verse 51, I'm telling you a mystery. How many of you like mysteries? Yeah, we do. You know, if I can find a a movie on television that is sort of a mystery, well, I, I like that. Why? Without turning to the last page of the book, we want to try and figure it out, don't we? If we can figure it out before they tell us in the show or they tell us in the book, then, okay, I got that one. But sometimes you have to wait to the last page or the end of the movie before we figure out, and it's usually a plot twist. And the last person you think that did it is the one that did it. We love mysteries. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that as Paul writes this, he's saying, if I use that word, lo, I'm telling you a mystery, oh, the ears will perk up. Yeah, tell us more, Paul. What are you talking about? Well, the first part of that mystery is this, that not all believers will die, but all will be changed. Now, Paul sincerely believed that. So many others in that day sincerely believed it. Sincerely believed it. The problem is they all died. But the truth of that passage still applies today. At some point, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 100 years from now, the Lord is coming back. He said he would, and he's not broken any promises yet. So with the fact that he is coming back, at some point, not all believers will die, but every one of us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, as he writes in other places. Just like that. I had a uh, seminar when I was doing my master's in seminary, and T.W. Hunt came and spoke. And if you haven't heard of T.W. Hunt, he's, he's long passed away now. But T.W., and he preferred to be called T.W. He didn't want to be called Dr. Hunt. He just wanted to be called T.W. T.W. would always say, he wrote many, many books about prayer. And he took us through an exercise that has just stuck with me all these years. And he had us just sit in class and close our eyes and let our imagination run wild. And he said, think about that moment when you go to heaven. Talking about when we're all changed. When when we go to heaven, we're going to bring to heaven all that junk with us, you know? And he says, imagine we're going to go into the presence of the Lord. And we're going to talk to him face to face. He says, before that, we've got to go and get cleaned up. And we take a shower. And the shower is not water, but it's the blood of Christ. And 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 our skin becomes just as white as snow. Just as pure. All those age spots are gone. All that stuff that we, you know, think about back when we were 15, 20 years old and we had that nice, clean, clear skin, you know. Forget about the pimples. We won't talk about the acne. We we're not going to go there. But, you know, just imagine what it's going to be like. And, and the robe being lily white. And, and T.W. was so much better than what I can do this morning. But he took a step by step by step of what it would take to approach the throne of God. And it has stuck with me all these years of what it's going to be like coming into heaven and how glorious an experience it will be. You know, we're, we're, we want to think about the streets of gold and the mansions and all that. No. 
I'm thinking about what are we going to be like in a perfect world, in a perfect place for eternity. So Paul writes, not all will die, but all will be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will put on immortality. No more skin cancer. Amen? No more arthritis and all the other itises that we can come up with in our language. You know, we don't have to worry about that. You know, there's another three letters we don't have to worry about. N-S-F. Anybody know what that means? Hopefully you never see those three letters on your bank account. Insufficient funds. You know, I'm not going to have to worry about a bank. I'm not going to have to worry about writing checks. Or will my Apple Pay work? Michelle says, I'm going to be lost without my cell phone up there. <laughs> but we're going to be changed in the twinkling. I mean, that is, it takes longer for me to do that than it would be for the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be an amazing, an amazing experience. We're going to be changed. And, and something else about this phrase, the twinkling of an eye. Nowhere else in the New Testament does it appear but here. And it was a way for Paul to explain to the people the concept of instant. Anybody here ever fixed instant oatmeal? How long does it take? It's not like that, is it? But we use the name instant. Uh, you know, there's so many other things that are... We are so spoiled in this country that we want it when? Now. We don't want to wait. Come on, that traffic light should have changed five minutes ago. I mean... We're just, we don't have patience. And so Paul is using this phrase, nowhere else in the New Testament is it used, the twinkling of an eye. It is something the people, the readers in that day would have understood. It is beyond the word instant for us. The trumpet blast. I was talking recently with my pastor back in, White Oak Baptist Church, one of those few Sundays I get to go there. And um, we were talking about all the world's events and all that. And I said, you know, I'm listening for the trumpet. Because we look at all the stuff that's going on around us, whether it's inflation, whether it is unemployment, whether it is, you know, and we could go on and on and on, COVID and everything else. And a lot of people say, we're listening for the trumpet. And that's not a bad attitude. We need to be ready. I understand that. But let's be sure we understand it may not be now. We want it now. I, <laughs> trust me, I know a lot of people are like that. We want it now, but that's not, it may not happen now. But we need to be ready. Hear the trumpet blast. And that's something else that people could relate to in that day. Because they know what it's like. They, they would use the trumpet to announce a leader coming into town, or a royal leader, or the king, or somebody 
uh, one of his uh, messengers, the trumpet would announce. But then look at verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. From the days of Adam and Eve, mankind has been corrupt. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And even though we are saved, even though we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, where does it say in the Bible that we're going to be perfect? It doesn't. But it does say that we need to, as even as believers, we need to pray and ask the Lord to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are corruptible. We don't like to think of that. I think, well, I'm doing pretty good. No, not really. <laughs> not when you think about the perfection of what the standard that Jesus had. We're going to put on incorruption. And our mortal will put on immortality. Think about it. Actually, if we really come down to it, and if we're honest with ourselves, there's a part of us that never dies. That's that soul. That's that essence of who we are. Our body may die. What does the Bible say? To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't think that was someplace in between. I think that Jesus went to be with the Father. And he's going to take this guy with him. You know, we, we this last Sunday... After church, we decided to go down and try out the Burger Shack, just down the road here. And while we were there, we met a very nice young lady who took care of us uh, with our order and everything, and we got to talking to her. And I was kind of hoping she'd be here today. I invited her to come to church. And she says, well, I work every Sunday, but I can try and make arrangements uh, to get off. But, you know, uh, that, that's just... Part of who we are now as believers, we want to tell people about the Lord. And um, when Paul says we're put on immortality or we're put on incorruption, we're beginning to live that. And that we have as believers the sense that a part of us never dies. We walk with the Lord now, but we're going to be, it's going to be so much better when we go to, to be with him. So we have confidence because of the resurrection. We have confidence because of our relationships. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's a couple of things about that passage we may want to, we may have a tendency, I should say, to overlook. Because we would get to the part of being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Back up a couple of words, though. Notice what he said. Therefore, my beloved brethren. It is, he is addressing believers. You know, he's given out this roadmap of what's going to happen when the Lord returns or when we go to be with the Lord. He's given us that roadmap there. And then he says, therefore, Whenever there's a therefore, you've got to ask, what is therefore? 
It's therefore to get our attention to say, now what do we do with this? And so he says, my beloved brethren. We have confidence because of our relationship. That's why the Bible says, neglect not the assembling of yourselves. We need each other. This always amazes me that preachers will spend a lot of time preaching about how we need to be in church and preaching about those that are not in church. Problem is, he's preaching to those that are in church. The ones that need to hear it are the ones that are not in church. But, you know, that's just the way preachers are. So he says, my beloved brethren, listen. Be steadfast. We are one body. We talked about that in a previous message. Doesn't matter whether you're the toe or the end of a sock, or whether you're the ear or the eye, every part is important. Just talk to somebody who's lost their toes because of diabetes and how hard it is to maintain their balance. You can find out how important toes are. Or somebody has had to have a kidney transplant, and you understand how important kidneys are. Or even a heart transplant, you know. All the body parts are so important. And so we have that confidence because we are related together and we help one another. And we need to be steadfast. We need to be solid. We have confidence because of our resolve. Steadfast in this context is to hold fast to the gospel. Music may change. Methods may change. People may change. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. So, who knows in the future what God's going to do for West Acres Baptist Church. But let's just say, you say, preacher, you're getting kind of crazy here. But let's just say, someday down the road, a couple of years from now, you have a band and you have a worship team and your worship is blended between some traditional and some more contemporary and all of that. And, and you know, you might have a preacher who's wearing jeans and, and all of, you know. No, that would never happen here. You never know what might happen. But let's just say, it could change like that. I don't know where God would lead West Acres Baptist Church in the future. But regardless of how it changes, one thing never changes, and that's the gospel. And so Paul is saying, that's where our roots are. That's what we hold on to. You know, who would have ever thought a few years ago that we really wouldn't use hymnals that much because the words would be on the screen behind me? That's a different method. Songs even change, you know. Uh, we're not just, uh, uh, you know, Stamps Baxter type music. We're not just uh, shape notes and stuff like that. We have all different kinds of music now. We used to have music with just the high organs. Not many churches have organs anymore. So music has changed, and it is changing, it is evolving. But the gospel doesn't change. Amen. Then he goes on to say in verse 58, 
Another way of saying steadfast is keep on becoming steadfast and unshaken. Let the skeptics howl and rage. Oh, the church is just too old-fashioned. No, we're not old-fashioned. We're just sticking to the Bible. Immovable. That's another interesting word. It says uh, in verse 58, be steadfast, immovable. You know, sometimes at these protests, people will sing, we shall not be moved, right? Well, that's one thing if you're protesting some law or whatever, or some racial issue. That's one thing. But when it comes to the gospel, we should be immovable. We don't play around. Um, we don't play around. We be steadfast, firm, settled, be determined. Will we trifle like Samson? Samson had all kinds of resources available to him, but he lost sight of who he should be, and he was moved away from where he should be in God, and it cost him. Will we leave like John Mark, who was with Paul, and then decided to leave because maybe it got a little too difficult for him? Will we run like the disciples? The night Jesus was betrayed, they scattered. Even Peter said, I don't know him three times before the crow. They heard the crow crow. We need men of faith like Abraham. Men of faithfulness like Joseph. Men of conviction like Daniel. Men of action like Peter. Peter was very impulsive, reaching out and slapping off the ear of the guard, but his faith was solid. And that's what Paul refers us to. To be unmovable. Don't let anything move us from our work. That is so true for a church like West Acres. It would be very easy to give up. We're just a few. What can we do? Um, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, you guys correct me, but I think I read about a, a young man had a few rocks, had a slingshot. What could he do with a slingshot and some rocks against a giant like Goliath? How many shots did it take to take out Goliath? One. Does that mean David was the most perfect guy with the slingshot? No. I think somebody helped the rock. <laughs> it's my own opinion. I think somebody helped the rock. But that one rock, perfectly placed, took out a giant. Everybody else was willing to give up. They saw the big guy. We don't stand a chance against him. And Dave was like, um, yeah, he's big. I've got some rocks, you know, that, you know, but I've got a God who's bigger than this guy. And he trusted God to go and take care of the big guy. And he did. I don't think God is through here yet. I'm nearing the end of my time here, but I think God has something more for this church or you wouldn't still be here. That's what Paul is talking about with immovable. 
told to abound in his work. That means to excel. It's not doing the bare minimum just to get by. And we have confidence because of promised results. Notice what he says. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How many times have you heard someone, you may have said this yourself. Well, you know, I witnessed to so-and-so and they just didn't, nothing happened. They just didn't receive the Lord. Maybe you're the one guy who planted the seed. Somebody else comes along and waters the seed. Somebody else comes along and cultivates the seed. And somebody else comes along and reaps the harvest. When we work in the Lord, we don't know where that is going to lead us. We don't know how. We may think we want the results this way. And God says, no, just be patient. I have my plan. We're working my plan. Paul says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The reward will be glorious if we're in his will in the center of what he wants us to do. Paul says, when we labor in the world, our labor is not in vain. We get weary in our work sometimes, especially in church. Well, you know, I've been Sunday school teacher for a lot of years. Maybe somebody else needs to do it. Or, you know, uh, whatever. We come up with all kinds of excuses like that. Paul is saying, keep looking to the Lord, keep walking in the Lord, keep trusting in the Lord, have your roots firmly planted in his word, and our labor will not be in vain in his timing. The solution is not to back off from our spiritual task, but to stay faithful until he says that's enough, or he calls us home. Do you ever get discouraged along the way? Do you get tired every now and then? Yes, we all do. Do you ever feel like throwing your hands up? Yeah. Here's another dirty little secret. There have been many pastors who on Monday morning have started writing a resignation letter because maybe they just had a difficult week and things didn't go as they thought they should on Sunday. And they just thought, maybe I just need to leave. And the good ones, maybe they get halfway through or even a few words down to realize this is not what God wants me to do and get on their face before God and say, okay, Lord, what, is, what do I need to carry on another week in your work? But before we get on pastors, there's many church members that do that too. Yeah. So, you ever feel like throwing your hands up? Yes. But God keeps reminding us, don't give up, don't give in, don't throw in the towel, stay steadfast, stay unmovable, stay, strive to keep abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain. Be a steadfast servant. Let's not give up until he tells us to give up. Let's stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the, the power of your word. Lord, that we would be steadfast, immovable, steady in your work. 
because of the relationships, because of the resurrection, because of the resolve you've given us. Lord, we trust in you for the results. Let us be faithful every step of the way. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.